Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 6th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Skarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. Some of the first of several trials against opioid drug makers and distributors were set for trial this year. Under the supervision of the federal court system, where most of the cases have been consolidated. The point was to determine how juries would react to the charges. It was assumed that the defendants would not budge on settlement until some trial results were adverse to their defensive posturing. That assumption has proven to be wrong, however, as now drug distributor McKesson Corporation has agreed to pay $37 million to resolve a lawsuit by the state of West Virginia. The West Virginia Accord may set an industry-favoring benchmark for other claims. The McKesson settlement comes more than a month after Purdue Pharma agreed to pay $270 million to resolve the Oklahoma lawsuit, alleging the drug maker of fueling the opioid crisis in that state. Oklahoma is pushing ahead with a May trial against the remaining defendants, Johnson & Johnson and Teva Pharmaceutical Industries. The McKesson settlement was the largest that a distributor has struck with the state in the litigation. In 2017, West Virginia settled similar cases against rival distributors Cardinal Health Incorporated and Amerisource Bergen Corporation for $20 million and $16 million, respectively. The U.S. Justice Department has joined a pair of whistleblower lawsuits alleging a drug maker improperly promoted an expensive multiple sclerosis treatment and paid kickbacks to doctors who prescribed the drug. The lawsuits claimed QuestCore Pharmaceuticals, which Malincrod acquired in 2014, defrauded the government health care programs by illegally marketing Acthar gel. Last year, Acthar represented 35% of Malincrod's $3.2 billion in net sales. Malincrot said it disagrees with the allegations and has been in advanced settlement talks with the government over the past several months. The lawsuits were filed by former QuestCore employees under the False Claims Act, which allows whistleblowers to sue companies on the government's behalf. The lawsuits are filed under seal so the government can investigate their claims. After the investigation, the Justice Department may intervene in the cases, which is typically a major boost for them. The whistleblowers alleged QuestCorps paid doctors illegal kickbacks in the form of bribes, speaker fees, and consulting deals in exchange for promoting and prescribing Acthar, and also alleged that QuestCorps' sales staff used deceptive and misleading marketing for uses and treatment regimens not approved by the Food and Drug Administration. The Justice Department said it was intervening in the cases and planned to file its own complaint as the lawsuits were unsealed. In January 2017, Malincrod agreed to pay $100 million to resolve claims that QuestCorps violated antitrust laws 
by sharply increasing the price of Actar while ensuring that no rival medicine appeared on the market. And now our crime report. A high desert pharmacist has pleaded guilty to a charge of illegally distributing the opioid oxycodone, admitting that she filled hundreds of counterfeit prescriptions. 49-year-old Pauline Tilton, a licensed pharmacist and the owner of Oasis Pharmacy in Victorville, pleaded guilty to one count of distribution of oxycodone and money laundering. In just one year, Tilton filled at least 345 fraudulent prescriptions for oxycodone. The prescriptions were written under the name and DEA registration number of a retired doctor. Tilton admitted knowing the prescriptions were fraudulent, outside the usual scope of professional practice, and without a legitimate medical purpose. Many of the fraudulent oxycodone prescriptions also include prescriptions for alprazolam and promethazine with codeine. Those three drugs are known as the Holy Trinity, a frequently abused and life-threatening cocktail of controlled substances. Tilton and Oasis Pharmacy received hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash payments, which were laundered to avoid detection. This case was the first to be charged as a result of an investigation into corrupt pharmacies dubbed Operation Fox Pharmacy. As part of the operation in 2017, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Central District of California filed search warrants on several pharmacies. The DEA identified the fraudulent pharmacies as those with exceptionally high numbers of oxycodone prescriptions, excessive or frequent opioid purchases, multiple customers with identical addresses, or customers traveling extreme distances to specific pharmacies despite access to more convenient options. Tilton faces a maximum penalty of 30 years in federal prison. 22-year-old Angel Estrada, formerly a licensed insurance producer and owner of Angel Estrada Agency, allegedly swindled a national insurer out of more than $140,000 in commissions. According to the Department of Insurance Investigators, Estrada submitted 74 applications for commercial insurance policies and was paid large commissions. Estrada then used a portion of his commission's money to fund initial premium payments on new bogus policy applications to secure additional commissions. Estrada continued this practice until the insurer audited his business and revealed the alleged scam. Internal auditing and underwriting by the national carrier revealed only one of the 74 policies Estrada submitted had an actual premium payment. Investigators secured an arrest warrant and Estrada surrendered in Los Angeles Superior Court and was released on his own recognizance. He has been charged with grand theft. Drug dealer Travon Antoine Lucas pleaded guilty, admitting that he sold pills containing fentanyl, fentanyl to a La Jolla man causing his fatal overdose. 
Lucas admitted that he posted online advertisements for the illegal sale of prescription pills. The victim responded to one of his posts and began purchasing various prescriptions from him. Last June, Lucas met the victim and sold him nine blues, a slang term for prescription oxycodone pills, for $240. The blues purchased from Lucas were counterfeit and contained deadly fentanyl. The victim was found dead in his room the following morning. Three other individuals, <coughs> Sendlayer Marie Fields, Kevin Vandale Chandler, and Donovan Adantas Carter were charged in the same indictment. All three have since pleaded guilty. Last July, Narcotics Task Force Team 10 was created to address drug overdose deaths in San Diego County. Team 10's first investigation was the fentanyl drug overdose of this La Jolla man. The victim was 38 years old, and he left behind his mother and his brother. And in medical news, a new study published in the Annals of Internal Medicine says that patients who have real-time video visits with their primary care providers instead of in-person exams are generally satisfied. The researchers surveyed nearly 1,300 patients at Kaiser in Northern California who had a scheduled video visit with a primary care provider. There were many reasons patients cited for having video visits. 87% found it more convenient. 82% liked that they could have the video visit with their regular primary care provider and 70% were not sure they needed to go see a doctor in person. After the video exams, 93% of the patients felt the checkup met their needs, 92% felt the provider was familiar with their medical history, and 90% were confident in the quality of their care. <clears throat> in addition, 84% of the patients who had video visits through the experience, improved their relationship with their provider. However, 41% of participants said they preferred an in-person visit. Overall, however, 9 in 10 patients said they would consider a video visit in the future. Pharmacy and Therapeutics Committees, a small group of medical experts, quietly advise U.S. health insurers on new drugs. These relatively unknown expert committees have been involved in drug coverage decisions for decades. Their members' identities are kept secret due to federal regulations aimed at preventing pharmaceutical industry interference. But their power has grown more recently with the consolidation of most of the U.S. pharmacy benefits businesses under OptumRx, CVS, and Express Scripts. Taken together, their three advisory committees now guide drug coverage for more than 90 million Americans. Pharmacy and therapeutics committees also hold sway over record numbers of novel and expensive medicines introduced into the U.S. market each year. Their decisions have new consequences as the pharmacy benefit companies they advise are more likely to exclude a new treatment from coverage if it is deemed on par with existing therapies or 
they can demand discounts or rebates from drug makers in exchange for the coverage. Market and regulatory changes in the last 10 years, as well as the Affordable Care Act, have resulted in significant modifications to health care delivery models. Traditionally, P&T committees limited the impact of their decisions to the populations associated with their hospital or health plan. However, as hospitals have begun to transform into larger health systems and even integrated payer organizations, P&T committees must consider both inpatient and outpatient needs of patients in multiple hospitals and ambulatory care settings. The function of the P&T committee has not necessarily changed, but its scope has expanded. Pharmacists, physical therapists, nurses, and physicians are assuming new leadership responsibilities, making them partners with P&T committees in improving clinical care and cost performance for health systems. And in regulatory news, the California Chamber of Commerce has released its annual job killer list. The new list includes 28 bills that it says would harm California's economic growth and job creation should they become law. The Cal Chamber president said that these bills represent some of the worst policy proposals affecting California employers and our economy currently being considered by legislature. Those of the most concerned to employers include <clears throat> AB 51 ban on arbitration agreements, which if passed significantly expands employment litigation and increases costs for employers and employees by banning arbitration agreements made as a condition of employment. And the AB 673 expansion of penalties against the employer for alleged wage violation and also SB 37, which would raise California's corporate tax rate, already one of the highest in the nation, up to a staggering 22.26%, which amounts to an increase of about 150%, and which will undoubtedly discourage companies from locating or further investing in the state. In the workers' compensation arena, SB 567, would significantly increase workers' compensation costs for public and private hospitals by presuming certain diseases and injuries are caused by the workplace and establishes an extremely concerning precedent for expanding presumptions into the private sector. The Cal Chamber will periodically release job killer watch updates as legislation changes, reporters are encouraged to track the current status of the job killer bills. The Medicare Secondary Payer Recovery Portal is now equipped to accept electronic payments for Medicare conditional payment reimbursements. This functionality was originally referenced in the Strengthening Medicare and Repaying Taxpayers Act, known as the SMART Act of 2012. One does not need a new or updated user access to make an electronic payment through this portal. <clears throat> the option is available to any user on any matter to which the user already has access. And payers may continue to remit a paper check to satisfy Medicare conditional payment demands. 
In order to make an electronic payment, the matter must be in demand status. There is no option to remit payments electronically unless the amount has been demanded. Therefore, if payment is desired to be made on a conditional payment notice, instead of a demand for reimbursement, a written check still must be mailed. Paying online does not mean that the full demand amount must be paid. If a redetermination request has been submitted on a portion of the conditional payments being asserted, a user can still submit a partial electronic payment. The new electronic payment system appears to streamline the payment process significantly, with much quicker application times and updates to the portal. According to a recent study by the Workers' Compensation Research Institute, the average total cost of a workers' compensation claim in California remained stable since the enactment of comprehensive reforms six years ago. But results mask recent changes in key cost components. The study, CompScope Benchmarks for California, 19th edition, excuse me, compared California with workers' compensation systems in 17 other states. Medical payments per claim increased annually for the first time since reforms were enacted in 2013, while indemnity benefits remained stable in the latest 12- and 24-month valuations after annual growth since 2013. Benefit delivery expenses per claim decreased in the most recent 24-month valuation after a period of stability. The study also found that California had higher litigation expenses, the frequency of and payments per claim for both medical legal services and defense attorneys in California were higher than most study states, and that total costs per all paid claims in California were higher than most study states for 2015 claims. So that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for our workers' compensation news on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarron Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.